The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. I'm going to give you a few facts here to kick off this episode. Did you know that at the end of last month, 30-year-old Chesley Christ, the 2019 Miss USA pageant winner, leapt to her death from her New York apartment building where she lived. A beautiful young woman that most of us would have thought had everything going for her. Closer to home, through one month of 2022 in the city of Houston, we are leading all other cities in the U.S., including Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles, with a number of murders. 42 murders in the month of January alone. And in my own home, my mother-in-law is struggling with chronic pain and depression that accompanies so many of the elderly in our society. Now look, these are dark statistics and dark stories with a common thread that no one seems willing to openly discuss. It is the thread of mental illness and how everyone in the world has become a little bit sicker in this area due to two years of pandemic isolation. In fact, I would even you know, propose that it could be the greater public health crisis over COVID itself when all the counting is done. So I have named this episode after the Russell Crowe movie, A Beautiful Mind, which deals with the subject of mental health and its often tragic conclusions because so many beautiful minds suffer in silence until they can bear it no more. Even someone as beautiful as Miss USA. What almost all mental illness sufferers are wrestling with is hopelessness. And you know what today's show offers? Fresh hope. That is exactly the name of the ministry my guest today created to address this massive and growing need in our society. So Brad Hayes, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, David. I'm glad to be here today. I wish I was there in person because it's so cold here in Nebraska. <laughs> yes, uh, I I think the whole country's you know getting it, but uh, I'm glad I'm here too, and uh, and I'm glad you were able to make it in. So I appreciate the extra effort you went to get out in the sub-zero chill factor weather there and temperatures. So why don't you tell us just a, a little bit about yourself and your background, just to uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. You bet. I've been married for 42 years and uh, been a pastor for 38 years. And um, in 1995, I uh, experienced a manic episode that landed me up in the news, and it was extremely painful and humiliating. Um, Little did I know that I had bipolar disorder. I was pastoring one of the fastest-growing churches in North America, and um, as as I was doing that, I was creative. I, I I was able to do lots of work in very few hours and required very little sleep. And little did I know that I was 
really suffering from a mental illness. I got worse and worse, and then sooner or later this episode happened, and um, I went to the hospital for about three weeks to outpatient, where they specialized in helping clergy, and there I was diagnosed. And from there, I tried the next seven years to really kind of make it, and I was trying to cope and really not doing all that well. And I got my medicine mixed up due to a circumstance of uh, a bus accident that our family went through. And um, lo and behold, I ended up back in the hospital um, and, of course, made the news again. And um, so what happened is I got out and I knew I needed support groups. I knew I needed something more than just the doctor's appointment and the counselor's appointment. I needed to know how to figure out how to live in spite of having bipolar disorder. Went to a number of groups, ended up uh, becoming more hopeless due to going to the groups. Mm. And I complained and complained and complained to my doctor because all these people did was complain. (laughs) So I complained to the doctor and, um, you know, I know today that if you go to a support group and all they do is vent to one another, it actually makes everybody sicker because they're just rehearsing their pain instead of trying to find a way to move forward. So the doctor said, if you uh, want, I'll help you start a group that you want to go to. So I did. It took me a while, but uh, we started one group, never intended to start a bunch of groups or anything like that. That my idea was just to start a group I wanted to go to. And sooner or later, there were a lot of people looking for faith-filled, hope-filled. I call it um, infused or faith-infused hope. Um, and that's the kind of groups we offer. And uh, now we have groups in many different countries, as well as the United States and other languages. And so we're just grateful that God took something out of my pain and uh, really redeemed a lot of it by what he's doing through Fresh Hope. Wow. That's all I can say. I want to thank you for being courageous enough to just share your story, but also commend you for what you've done to create Fresh Hope. For people, and that's uh, such an appropriate name. I I was uh, looking at your website, and it's for our audience. It's www.freshhope.us, and your mission statement is to empower individuals with a mental health challenge, along with their loved ones, to live a full and faith-filled life in spite of a mental health diagnosis. So why don't you share how this can be achieved uh, to to the silent sufferers and their families out there? Yeah, it it cannot be achieved in the silence that they are suffering in. Um, We have to get past that stigma. And um, I'm living proof that it is possible to live well in spite of a mental health challenge. I haven't had an episode or any problems since, um, well, for almost 19 years now. And um, so what we do is reach out to people that are looking for hope and um, hopefully find them, (laughs) you know, and that they, they can come to groups, they can see our resources, they can do all these things because these problems in the world, uh, hopelessness kills. 
It does. And it shows up in our jails. It shows up in um, murders and suicides, as well as just general anxiety that people are feeling. And so it can't be in the silence. It can't be in the darkness. We have to we have to start saying there's something at the root of all of this, and much of it is mental illness, and and a lot of it's emotional illness also. And I always tell everybody, you may not have a mental health issue, but you got an emotional issue. I can tell you that we all have that. And so we're living in this broken world that needs hope. Well, that's exactly right. And as I said earlier in the introduction, I think that, you know, from some of the things that I've read and heard, everybody, everybody in the whole world who is has some kind of low grade, you know, like fever of, of mental illness, uh, whether it's just aggravation isolation, um, frustration because of being, you know, kept apart. And I think uh, even before the pandemic, there were tremendous numbers that I had heard from our, our own HR department when I was in corporate America on people that call in sick and just miss work. And, yes. And so yeah. it, there's, a, there's a tremendous cost. But I think you're right. It's just it's it's a private suffering. And I, I don't know what it's like. I don't have. Uh, any, you know, I've, I've never experienced clinical depression or anything, but I am someone who has dealt with alcoholism and addiction in my own family. And you and I discussed yeah. addiction as a mental illness in, in preparation for the show. And you stated that unprocessed pain is at the heart of most addictive behaviors. So people must medicate themselves somehow with some substance to avoid that unprocessed pain. So can Absolutely. you elaborate more on that topic and why it is so important to have the peer-to-peer counseling similar to that found in the AA programs? And also please explain how faith in God is essential to healing and getting beyond just, just coping with a lifelong illness with meds and then fully living a good life. You bet. Um, that's a lot, but I'm going to mm-hmm. tackle it. So, <laughs> okay. um, you know, there's, the unprocessed pain is is problematic because most of us, well, we live in a culture that says you can do it, step up to the plate, be a man, or take it like a man, or do it like a man, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're self-sufficient as Americans. And so the idea that we need one another and that we really need help and um, encouragement to work through painful situations, heart wounds, if you will, mm-hmm. things that affect our heart and affect us emotionally. Um, you know, if I cut my hand and I don't do anything about it, um, that wound can kill me sooner or later if left untended. you got to clean it up, heal it up, you know, and care for it. Well, that's what most of us have in, in our minds, in our hearts. We have that pain, and if you don't, if you don't process it, if you don't process it with other people and the Lord, uh, that pain is there festering underneath everything. And so people get triggered. People get um, unable to regulate their own emotions and their anger. And uh, so what happens with peer-to-peer uh, work that goes on like in AA we're doing now with mental health, and it's it's going across the United States. There's more and more states have certified peer support specialists who are people who have lived through um, 
having a diagnosis and learned how to live well in spite of it, instead of just coping or um, feeling like they're broken merchandise. And so they get they get beyond just coping and to a point of thriving. And a lot of that has to do with working through their pain and getting to those heart wounds that need healing. And then you can respond to life differently. And um, those heart wounds aggravate a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mental illness aggravates the heart wounds. It's just a vicious cycle. And um, there's nothing like somebody who's been through it to look you right in the eye and say, brother, I know exactly what you're feeling. And let me tell you something. You can get through this, and we're going to go through it together, step by step. And uh, that's really what we do. It's about not about, yes, we say you need medicine, yes, you need doctors, yes, you need a therapist, but you also need peers to help you learn how to live and to be your friend and to help you push through in the days you can't get through it. Amazing and uplifting and really so hope-filled. I mean, to to know that there's an organization like this, that there's other people out there who've experienced it that can help you, and, and I think you're right, This the you know, at the ground level, it's just got to be that peer-to-peer who can kind of call BS on you too when you when you kind of go back to Absolutely. your uh, victim thinking. Yeah, there's there, there's things that doctors can't say, there's things that therapists can't say, and there's things the spouse dare not say. But a peer can look you in the eye and say, "That's not mental illness. That's bad behavior," you yeah, know, excellent. or that's stinking thinking. Yes, and that. That cuts right to the chase, if you will. Well, Brad, you know, my older brother, Richard, was a veteran, and he drank himself to the point of a severe alcoholic dementia, sadly, which landed him in the VA home in Big Spring, Texas, at age 57, where he spent, mm-hmm. he spent the remaining years of his life you know, basically just pacing and smoking because his short-term memory was so bad he couldn't follow a television program plot or read a book and after eight uh-huh. years, he passed away in 2019 at age 65. So I have a real heart for veterans. And, you know, what has been your experience with veterans and, and their mental health challenges with the oh, PTSD? Yeah. And- we, we work with the homeless and um, have groups for homeless people. And um, you find a lot of veterans there. I'm in the jail uh, creating a curriculum and a uh, ministry just to be used in jails on mental health. And again, you find a lot of veterans. Um, That unprocessed pain of what they've gone through, especially for the veterans who were in active combat or saw combat, um, that that there's a pain that's very real there, and um, it has to be processed. And... um, Instead of uh, locking up their feelings and just, you know, tapping them, if you will, mm-hmm. it's absolutely necessary for people to help veterans work through it. Uh, that's very real, that PTSD, whatever you want to call it, the trauma, all of that kind of stuff is very real. It can be worked through. It can be dealt with. And it can be minimized. So that people can thrive, that they have a good future in spite of that. I think maybe it's a willingness to admit, because, you know, if you're trained in the military and you're this 
man, you know, you're a tough guy and you've got all this military training oh, yeah. out there. And, you know, so you're psychologically trained to deal with battle. And then they don't tell you, hey, well, you know, when you get back and you have these problems. Yep. I think a lot of whether it's alcoholism or addiction or any mental illness, it's, it's how do you admit that you have the problem before? Oh, I don't. And, and usually what has to happen, most of us never get well until the pain of being sick is greater than the pain of getting well. Right. In other words, there's pain both ways. Right. But generally speaking, people will keep medicating themselves. They'll do uh, medicate themselves through behaviors, even workaholism, all those kinds of things to keep everything at bay until the pain of doing that is greater than the pain of admitting they have a problem. Yeah. And, you know, if we just all were smart enough, we'd say, okay, wait, I don't need to wait that long. <laughs> right, right. It is it is funny how, uh, well, even when you get in a, a disagreement with your wife, how long does it take your cycle time, you know, to admit, I was wrong, please forgive me. <laughs> in the longer yeah, it takes, that's just all that people, pain, you know, in between. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes for some people that never happens. Right, right. They you can never admit that stuff. you were wrong. Well, so, you know, we're talking about mental illness and we don't really know how many ways it manifests itself, but we know that a lot of mentally ill people end up on the street, homeless, like you said earlier, yeah. and then they end up getting incarcerated in our jail system, you know, with the real bad guys. And I uh, mm -hmm. was at this session for the Texas Public Policy Foundation uh, and the legal aspects in our whole uh, jail system and, and this attorney had a real heart for people with mental illness. And, you know, we, our society just doesn't have a proper way to deal with these people. What, what efforts are underway uh, to get them the help they need rather than simply locking them up uh, other than, than your ministry? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the things that we all have to understand in our society is there are not enough doctors and there are not enough therapists for the issue that we have. We have a tsunami of mental health issues. We had that prior to the COVID, and now we have, it's probably, I bet you anything, they know that when there's trauma that hits um, like hurricanes and things like that, they know that the mental health issues double hmm. after that. And so can you imagine what's going on? Well, we're going to see more homeless in the future. We're going to see more people incarcerated. Here's the deal. What we need to do is realize that punishing people who are struggling with emotional pain and uh, dysfunctional living, punishing them is only adding to the problem. They're going to end up there again. They're going to, it, it's going to just recycle. And um, we have to get to the root of it. And one of the things that I know that's happening in the country is going on in Dallas, I believe it is, where they actually have mental health courts, where um, people are not incarcerated and instead are treated. And then, you know, the bottom line is, is what if we said to people who had addictions, you can either do this or you go to jail, or if they have a mental health condition, you either receive treatment and are accountable for it over a period of time, or you're incarcerated. Well, that would be a big change in the system. Sure. That would be great. 
And, and we've got to learn how to use peers in the jails, with the homeless, um, in our churches. Our churches are filled with people how, who have learned how to overcome in spite of what they're going through, and they can help other people. That's what Scripture is talking about when it says, you know, the, the comfort I was given that I give to others. Well, uh, let, let's finish up then with fresh hope for our listeners by telling them, you know, well, you, you actually already shared you know, your own story, but and then maybe if you have time, a little bit about children, because I'm thinking about education and how far back these kids have been now two years with masks, trying to do things from home. Right. Uh, any Any comments on that? You know, let's end up with something uplifting and helpful here. You bet. If we can, as parents, help our children learn how to have a high EQ. Um, in other words, an IQ is how smart we are, but mm-hmm. an EQ has to do with our emotional regulation, that when we get triggered and we get upset or whatever, are we able to regulate our emotions? Well, as parents, the most proactive thing we can do for our children's mental health is teach them good EQ um, good um, emotional regulation um, tools, give them tools to take care of their emotions. Um, yes, children are going to be at greater risk now for developing mental health issues just because, for instance, I have a seven-year-old grandson, and he was in kindergarten when it started. He's in second grade, um, and uh, he's worn a mask most of that time. And I said, a lot of little boys are going to find out that they don't like their girlfriends when they see the whole face <laughs> or something. You know, they don't even know each other. Um, so it, it, we have those issues. Um, the But hope changes hopelessness very quickly. And yes, you can be at a hopeless situation, but still have hope within it. It's like living at a it, within an intersection of, um, you know, of really saying, I got to get on top of this. Most of us think, oh, I can do this, I can do this, while we're sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And so, you know, we stand ready uh, with Fresh Hope to help people. Um, we're about multiplication. Um, in other words, we have hope coaching we provide to people. We also train hope coaches for churches to, um, and, and hope coaches are trained in the very um, essence of 25 years of clinical research on how hope happens. Hope is catching. It can be taught, or it cannot be taught. It has to be caught. Okay. And um, because of that, uh, we stand ready to help people in all kinds of ways. Fantastic. Fantastic. This has been uplifting just, just speaking with you, and I'm so glad that you formed Fresh Hope Ministries. And again, that website is www. .freshhope.us, and our speaker is Brad Hafes, H-O-E-F-S, if you want to look into that and learn more. I just want to also profusely thank our sponsor, ERS, Electronic Restoration Services, for giving us an example of how old and damaged things that most people are prepared to throw away can, in fact, be restored and returned to full and useful service. So Fresh Hope offers the same kind of restoration for people out there and that are wrestling with this hopelessness of mental illness. So let me just close this out with a prayer here. I also want to let people know if you got other ideas on things that you want to cover around our topics, email me at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. So 
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Brad and for this ministry, your fresh open, that there are, is this tsunami of mental illness that's, uh, I think, coming and could be the larger public health risk and hazard, you know, because of what's happened through the pandemic to each of us. And so we just thank you. We ask you, bless him and his ministry. Keep him warm up there in Nebraska. And uh, thank yeah. you for thank you for this show and for all those who feel hopeless out there. Do not give up. There is hope. It can be caught. And uh, we are praying for all of you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage and Pastor Aaron Thomas. We believe the winners in this ring courageously follow God's word. Love and protect God's woman. Excel at God's work. Batters God's world and his children. For more information, reach out to David and Pastor Aaron at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. That's wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.